It was not a busy weekend for baseball, but it was a busy weekend for former Guardians slash Indians. We'll talk about that. We're going to get into some trade articles that came out, as well as some Rule 5 chatter, all on today's Locked on Guardians. You are Locked on Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you get podcasts. Uh, I am Jeff Ellis. This is my former co-host, Nacho the Cat, who decided he wanted to interrupt the show today before the before being your host here for nearly 900 episodes. And I do want to take a quick moment and say thank you. We're up to 901 subscribers last check, 99 away. So if you're not subscribed on YouTube, please do um, and encourage others to. Uh, I, I wrote a lot of places, primarily about the draft and prospects and analytics. But uh, now I am here uh, for Locked On since the inception of the Baseball Network. I am Justin Latta. I am unfortunately not as cute as your other co-host, but uh, we're making it work. I feel like we're, we're balancing it. I got the brains. He's got the looks. But um, I always said now I you make lots of money. I'm, yes. I, uh, bad, bad song reference. Sorry. Oh, I don't think I knew that one. That one went oh, flew man. right over my head, unfortunately. Sorry. Uh, current managing editor, Guardians Baseball Insider.com, freelancer for the News Herald Morning Journal, prospect evaluation of prospect prospects live once again, and uh, a bunch of other places before that. And then now here with you. Yes. Uh, so let's, without further ado, let's just dive into it. Let's start with Carlos Santana, because I think this is the more interesting of the two signings. Even though the Clevenger signing has a bigger direct impact on Cleveland, I think this is a smart signing by Pittsburgh for a couple of reasons. One, Santana is better than you think a year ago, specifically once he got to Seattle. Two, everyone in Seattle talked about what a great veteran presence he was that uh, Pirates team could probably use a little more leadership. Three... Uh, he's still a strong defender at first. I saw some people being like, he's a DH only. He's not. He he would be, if he was Cleveland's first base option, he would be the starter there. Like outs above average, I want to say really liked him. He can still defend. And then four, he is a guy who's going to benefit from the shift change. I think I saw 98% of his at-bats were against the shift. He is a player who, yes, he's turning 37, is 37. He is getting up there. He was still effective a year ago. He destroyed left-handed pitching, and now he doesn't have a shift anymore. Like he's a player I could see like ten years down the line, someone writing a story about. Uh, he should be like, I can see someone from Cleveland writing an article about. Oh, he should have had Hall of Fame consideration because if he had played in an era without the shift, who knows what his numbers could have been? Like how we always like to go back and talk about changes. And again, I'm not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but I'm saying I can see that article already being written because the shift has been maybe to him more than any other hitter in baseball, a huge detriment. So I like this for Pittsburgh because they're paying him under $7 million. They'll have him for half a year. He will kill left-handed uh, pitching. He's got a chance to be even better than normal with no shift. And at the deadline, they can flip him for an asset, which is what the whole play with this is, is to maybe add an interesting prospect. And I think it'll pay off for them. But I think it's a, a good get. I think it's... And like I said, it's it might be weird that this is more interesting to me than Clevenger. But we'll talk about Clevenger in a moment. Your thoughts on uh, Los to the Pirates? Yeah, I mean, they had G-Man Choi. He kind of balances their lineup out. The Pirates haven't had a good first base option in quite some time. 
Um, at the worst, I mean, he comes in. He if he if he improves without the shift there, they have someone they can flip at the deadline. I think that's the most biggest the biggest thing for them is this is a guy they can turn around and trade at the deadline for a prospect if he pans out. And they all definitely benefit from his leadership. Still a very young team. Um, like I said, G-Man Choi is a platoon bat mostly. I'm kind of surprised they felt like playing someone like Carlos Santana over guys they didn't protect, like you know Malcolm Nunez, who I mentioned on Friday. Um, I, I'm not sure why. Like, If I'm in Pittsburgh's situation, I don't think the Santana makes a whole lot of sense because not that they have a ton of great options at first base, but I mean – you know, you're going in a direction where you should be building towards the future, and Santana's just kind of here, occupying a spot from somebody who's younger that could be part of your future, possibly. I don't know, um, but but if you feel like he could benefit from the shift being gone, and you can flip him for a prospect, why not? If you think your locker room needs the leadership, why not? You were right. I was surprised. He had. 292 plate appearances last year against the shift and he had 200 and his 34 plate appearances where he didn't face the shift he had 294. So that's a small sample. We don't know what's going to happen, but um, yeah, I would think he's, he's going to benefit from, from there being no shift there. Walk, still walks a ton. Doesn't really strike out. Doesn't really swing and miss uh, a lot for a guy. And maybe the power, he's still at 19 home runs. He still he hasn't slugged above four hundred in three years now. The power looks like it's it's kind of evaporated, but I don't know. Pittsburgh's got to be a better hitters park for power hitters than Seattle and uh, Kansas City, right? Yeah, no. Well, Kansas City is okay for power. I think I think it comes down with Nunez. I, I think Pittsburgh doesn't feel like he's ready, and I think everyone thinks he can't play the field. So I know that's a limiting factor. Um, with him yeah. but i think yeah i think that's just as you stated and as i stated it comes down to it's a decent trade asset like i could see let's put it this way if it got to the end of july all of a sudden he's only owed about three million left if cleveland needs a platoon bat they could come calling if he's having a really good year because they know him it's easy to sit there and take a guy who's already known to you and bring him over now limited flexibility but it's a situation where i don't you know i have no idea what that could look like i'm just saying it's within the realm is all I would say. And I, I think there's a chance and that they're going for that. There, there's reasons like I said Santana played well. Uh, I also think him getting 7 million was a surprise. And it also should make everyone out there reevaluate who thought that this first base market guys weren't going to get paid. So just take a second and realize that Santana got 7 million. Uh, Abreu is going to get expensive and everyone else's uh, price tag just went up. Yep, for sure. Definitely. Uh, can guess that's going to raise the price tag. On everybody, especially if uh, if Santana ends up having a good year. Now, in terms of Clevenger, I think the saddest people today were the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, they absolutely murdered him this year. And here's the thing. Clevenger has dealt with health issues from before he came to Cleveland. He had health issues in Cleveland. Uh, the, you know, the White Sox are betting that he is able to come back healthy. Now, two years removed. Uh, I don't know if financials ever came out, but I mean, that is a... Paper Eight thin million. rotation, eight million. So he he barely got as uh, barely got more than Santana got, which is kind of interesting to think about. But uh, yeah, it, they have multiple pitchers with health concerns and issues, and Clevenger frankly just wasn't very good. Um, nothing was there. I, I 
as a Guardians fan, it was almost like, hey, this is a free agent signing for them. I don't, I don't, at age 32, with that health history, has he ever thrown 180 innings? I don't know if he ever will. Like, this just, I think maybe they couldn't get Cueto for $8 million, but I, I think going from Cueto to Clevenger is a drop-off. Well, I would probably guess Clevenger's ceiling is a little higher than Cueto. I can't There's imagine Cueto. I don't know. I, I think there's a chance he can rebound. Remember, he was coming off of his second Tommy John, and uh, he wasn't terrible last season. Uh, he had his moments. I wonder what it'll look like, you know, a, a, another year removed from that. Um, what did he up with last year? A yeah, four thirty three ERA. I would, I would guess he probably that comes down yeah. just a little bit. Although <laughs> his FIP was a five, and again, it'll be thirty two. Yeah. The fastball was down. Yeah, I think there's some issues there for sure. The fact that he got eight million, and I don't know what Cueto is is going to get. I he if Cueto gets more, I'd still be surprised because that's a guy who is relying on strike throwing at this point in his career. But I will say that the the reactions I saw from White Sox fans today, just on Twitter, I know Twitter is sometimes we mistake it for being a good judge of real life and real society, and it's not. But I the, the reactions I saw from White Sox fans that I personally who are writers and Fans I consider to be very reasonable and knowledgeable. Uh, they were like, yeah, they weren't like excited about it. Some of them were not thrilled, but nobody was like really like, oh, this is a great move. This is this is going to be you know a nice addition to the rotation. Those people were all were either in the middle on it, like okay, fine, I guess he replaces Cueto, whatever. Other people were like, yeah, I don't know how this is going to work out. Like they the reactions weren't great. This is a perfect, um, and this might be me being a jerk, but I think this is the perfect way to like test, like if someone's worth following, like anyone who came out and is like, Oh, the White Sox have the potential to have the nastiest rotation in baseball. Like that's a person who doesn't know baseball. Uh, like cease is amazing, but, uh, Lynn things backed up on a little bit last year. Cope, uh, had health. Giolito's were progressed for two straight years. Um, I mean, that's that's a rotation with question marks all up and down. It's you know, it's not to say Cleveland's is perfect, but uh, and again, like my whole issue with Clevenger here is age 32 is a hard year to start coming back from things when he was never out of shape. But this was never a guy who like was focused on his body being a temple. He was focused on his mind as a pitcher and his development of his pitches. But like the pitchers who tend to last longer are the ones who were you know really take care of their body yeah take care of their bodies and not to say he doesn't but he was much more of a he had natural talent and then a cerebral approach which i know is weird to say because most people look at clevenger as not a cerebral guy but when it came to pitching he, he put in the time and the effort mm-hmm. um so as much as people tend to like ding him it's like no as a pitcher he was a cerebral dude i can't speak to anything beyond pitching but i can tell you on that mound he was you know very intelligent so I don't know. I, I wish him well. I don't have anything that that Clevenger deal is looking like a mini cologne deal for Cleveland right now in terms of the return for both sides. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. There really nothing happened this weekend outside of those former guardians. I'm not surprised at all. I don't think this is probably going to be a pretty rough week for us to get through. I think I said it on Friday. I said that the week between the holidays and, and or I should say Thanksgiving and Rule and, and rule five. I might, the the winter meetings might as well just be the rule five draft because nothing else ever really happens there anymore. But 
at least we get some news and some rumors coming out of it. But yeah, the week between Thanksgiving and the the winter meetings is usually pretty dry for news. So let's hope it's a little bit better. Uh, before we move on to a break real quick, I wanted to also point out you're right on judging follow because if somebody said Mike Clevenger really makes that rotation really good, that is perfectly what I like to call is I know that name. People's like, oh, that's a name I know, so he must be good. Like, that's the casual baseball fan mantra. I know that name, so he must be good. Doesn't matter if he's it was it was a guy I knew five, six years ago. If I know that name, he's got to be a, a good baseball player, and that automatically means he's good right now, no matter what the context is. I, those fans just – sorry, they drive me nuts. They just do. So you're right. No, and there are people trying to pass themselves off as, like, experts who I saw with that. So it's just like, ooh. Um, but – if you need expert information, then you should be heading to our good friends over at Bet Online because they are going to give you expert information when it comes to just about everything uh, in sports. If you need, you know, lines on games, if you want to know the odds someone's going to sign somewhere, head over to Bet Online today. They have you covered. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer and esports. They've got it all at Bet Online. I've even signed, seen them in the past have uh, elections as something they cover. Uh, it goes beyond sports at Bet Online. They are always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online, where the game starts. And uh, I haven't checked, but last time we did check Bet Online, the only thing in terms of free agency listed was uh, Cleveland being someone for Aaron Judge. Uh, way down the list because I think they just tracked. Uh, I like your head shake. Yeah, it's not happening, but I think they literally put odds for every team in that. So yeah, go check out Bet Online. Great source of information. Just realize they literally give every team a chance for Aaron Judge. Uh, let's talk about articles now. So Anthony C. I'm going to say uh, so. I don't butcher his last name. I'll leave that to you to say his name correctly in a moment. Uh, posted a piece about trades and it was interesting because I know. Friday show, you talked about Jim Bowden and his trades. And again, I will point out Jim Bowden got his job because uh, his start because he was roommates with the owner of the Pirates' son. That's literally fell into something and worked his way backwards up a ladder. And uh, I'm not much of a fan. So there's my statement. Uh, He's not very good. And then Anthony uh, Castroneves is very good. I actually like him. So I don't want to seem to disparage him, but I thought like in that piece, it was a little um, inconsistent uh, in terms of some of the trade values put on certain players or situations. Uh, And, but the interesting takeaway was his statement that like the reason a Murphy trade didn't happen in this middle of the year was Cleveland's unwillingness to trade a starter. And I assume it was one of the big three, maybe even one of the big two. I can't remember if we went into specifics and then finally says Valera and Williams for Murphy um, I know everyone loves Rocchio. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Not Valera, Rocchio and uh, Williams for Murphy. Honestly, I don't think that gets it done. So I don't think that's enough. And I know people are out there saying what? Well, I think Rocchio was probably like fifth or sixth in system. I don't, th- I, they had them at three and four based on the pipeline. I, I don't think they're three and four. I think it's like three and six. Um, and you're going to need additional pieces. And I, people, so I got into a big thing on Friday about this. What people need to realize is the whole idea of there's no such thing as a pitching prospect is bunk. Um, especially with all the data we have today, once these guys are in double and triple a, 
your pitching prospects are more legit than your hitting prospects. We know how to interpret the, that data more. Uh, you know, there, there are certain guys who get up here. Look at the year Spencer Torkelson had. Look at the year Riley Green had. We're like, what went wrong? What do we? And there's, you know, we haven't really gotten into the whole zone of like, okay, you know, you hear the rumors that George Valera is not going to be able to hit anything low in the zone, but we don't have statistical things to really prove that at our level. Teams might, uh, but with pitchers, there is so much data now and so much analytics going in that when you get a guy to double in Triple A, you know their spin rate, you know their pitch mix, you know if it is going to be successful. And pitchers don't fail unless it's injuries or that they weren't good enough because of controller command. Pitching prospects in the upper minors are more secure bets, going back to our sponsor there, than hitting prospects. Like all three of those pitching prospects, when we talk about Bybee, we talk about Williams, we talk about Espino. I mean, two of those three have massive injury concerns at points in their career, but I still have them head and shoulders above the next three hitters in system because overall, as long as they're healthy, we know they're going to be successful. We have enough data on these guys that we know they will be successful. So I get Cleveland saying, we're not going to trade those pitching prospects because they are sure things. And listen, please seconds of Ali are on their way out. You got three guys at the top. You feel kind of good about, but one of them is going to be gone in two years. I, I think they'll stick to that. I don't think they're going to be willing to trade either of those three pitchers. And I think they're going to slowly work them in. And eventually the hope for this team, as you go down the, the road is that, you know, it's going to be McKenzie in those three arms. And then who knows in the five spot in like three years time. Yeah, I, the only way time. I can see them. Yeah, the only way I can see them trading one of the big three pitching prospects is if it's like in a deal for another controllable pitcher that can help them right now and for the next two or three years. Like, I don't think it's going to happen, but I could see, and, and I'm even more skeptical about this. But I could see, like, you know, I'm going to bring out my favorite team again: Gavin Williams being dealt for Corbin Burns or Brandon Woodruff. Like, I could. If that that might be possible because they're getting a pitcher back who they have two years of control over who can help them now and next year if they decide to kind of bankroll those years and just see what happens after. But like I said, even I'm a little skeptical about them actually pulling the trigger on something like that. But that's the only scenario I can see that happening in. Um, if they didn't say yes to one of Espino or Williams – Mid-season for Sean Murphy, I don't think that's changed by any means right now. And Is there a package without those two that get it done? I don't know. You'd have to – it depends. We don't, we don't know what Oakland values. Like, we can see what prospects they like based on who they traded for in the past and, and, the, and the players they draft. We can, you know, take a look at, okay, this is some of the, the profiles they tend to like. We could see if Cleveland matches up that way. Uh, but in the end, you just don't know. You don't know what they see on Cleveland players. And um, from the outside looking in, from our perspective, it seems like a very hard deal, as good as this system is, because you've got to look at it from Oakland's perspective. They're not going to be good this year. They're not going to be good next year. Like earliest we're talking here is 2025 for them, right? So Rokio is already on the 40-man roster. <clears throat> Gavin Williams doesn't have to be for a couple years, so that fits. But that's why Cleveland's not going to move him right now. So you have to find prospects that are, if you're not willing to trade, and it, it may not be possible, you'd have to maybe deal one of the pitchers. Uh, that's probably why they want Williams, because Williams is still a few years away from being added to the 40. You would have to find a number of prospects in Cleveland system that either just got added, so we're talking Angel Martinez or Joey Cantillo, or you've got, you've got to find prospects Oakland likes that are like 
up for adding next year or two years from now. So like a Logan Allen and, and that type, you know what I mean? Like Angel Janow, maybe if they like that, but that's like your, your fourth piece in the deal. So that that's the only way you're, you're probably looking is you gotta, you gotta fit their timeline in a deal. And if Cleveland's not going to deal one of those pitching prospects, it's a lot harder, but yeah, I don't see that deal getting, I don't Rokio and Williams, even if, even if Cleveland was willing to trade Williams, Rokio and Williams are not getting that deal done. And like, I think one of the other problems just in general for Cleveland is you have that big three, which depending on your view of Cody Morris could maybe be a big four. Um, but after those three and and maybe Morris, who again has been on the 40 for you know a bit now and and has had some service time, uh, Logan Allen had a down second half. Then like who's next up? Is it Justin Campbell who they just drafted? Is it Gaddis? Is it Curry? Like all of those guys right now are third or fourth pieces in a deal. They really don't have a second tier of starters uh, beyond those guys that are either you know. A few years ago when they had guys like Torres and Hankins, uh, who we'll talk about in segment three a bit, like when they were first round picks and they were interesting players um, before injuries and conditioning and the like hit them. uh, When you had some of those guys who were interesting but far away, like that would help you out right now, but they just don't have that. They have the big three, maybe big four, and then kind of more guys who profile as back-end starters, and that's just not going to be a top two-piece situation. Nope. Yeah, your your lead piece. I I'm I kind of struggle with Valera being enough as a lead piece here. Like, could you say that if 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 Oakland really valued Valera, could they be convinced to go with Joey Cantillo and somebody further down in the system? I don't know a a Jack Leftwich or a Doug Nikhazy or and you know he said. Justin Campbell, and I don't know, can they even trade Justin Campbell yet? Is that even offseason? Okay, so he can be traded. Yeah, yeah, that would be the only way that really works out. But I don't, I don't, I don't think Valera is a strong enough piece at this moment for Oakland. A because of their situation mostly, and and I don't know it. Like you said, the the one to one, the correlation for pitchers for pitcher data to the majors is a little bit easier to read than it is hitter so you're right and i think a lot of teams probably i would guess feel that way i mean i'm sure they have more hitting data they feel comfortable with judging guys on than we do on the outside but uh it would seem that pitching correlates a little bit better so that's why that's why they're going to ask for pitching and i don't think oakland's got a great system for pitching but right now so and and cleveland's also hurt by some of the lack of draft draft success right like tanner burns and carson tucker you know, Tommy Mace, Doug Nikhazy. I think that those are all very high picks who you look at and go, I, these guys have never really been top 10 players in the system or even close to it. And uh, they have so much adapt, so many guys who have hit, and you're going to hit and miss. But it is interesting how much of this system uh, is driven by guys who, you know, Espino and Williams were first rounders, but they've also kind of, you know, Bybee was a later guy. Uh, Naylor was a first, but they've, they've had some recent misses that I think also hurts where they've, you know, if Ninkasey had pitched or Mace, like they'd hoped um, maybe they would have been the trade asset you're looking for in this deal, but that just hasn't come to be so far. Things can change. And I'm sure, I'm sure some people, I've seen some people mention like, you know, like Will Dion and I'm like, you're not, you're not, not no one's taken anything from low A at this point like that. Yes. If Oakland really liked Will Dion, you could add Will Dion, but that would be like your fourth or fifth piece at that point. Like at, at this point, nothing is you're, uh, not, nothing against Will Dion. Nice kid. Um, I got to talk to his dad a little bit. Very nice kid. Just 
no one's taking anything in low A right now that that seriously to make him a strong trade piece. Yeah. I mean, it, I was, uh, we're going to talk some rule five here in a second. Uh, the interesting thing is going through and looking at teams rule five. It's like a lot of teams just didn't protect guys. Even if they were top 10 prospects who were in low A because the, you know, they, they weren't afraid of anyone taking them because the value is just lower on those guys right now. Maybe the lowest it's ever been. So yeah, it, it's not a knock on those guys. It's just teams want upper level prospects. And that is the thing where Cleveland has great pitching depth, but it is a lot of depth. We're going to take break number two at this point in the show. We're going to come back, do some rule five chatter. Jim Callis had an interesting piece saying who he thought the guardians could lose. We're in a debate, discuss, and also talk about would the guardians take anyone in the rule five this year. Trevor Steffens is the greatest rule five selection in franchise history. Could they have someone to challenge him? Stay tuned and find out. But first let's talk about our friends over at simply safe. Let me spell it out for you because you know, sometimes names don't match how we think it is. So Simply Safe, S I M P L I S A F E, is, you know, the people to go to for home security. Uh, we sat there and talked with uh, Lindsay recently from Prospects. He uses it. Uh, I always bring up uh, how much I rely on US News and World Reports, number one security system, three years running. Uh, if you want professional security, especially around the holidays, if you want to have the ability to have someone watching your back when those packages get delivered when you're at work, Simply Safe is the company to go with. Uh, trusted in an emergency or just in everyday home security, go to simplysafe.com uh, and specifically go to Simply Safe backslash locked. I'm sorry, locked. Uh, I can't speak today. Simplysafe.com backslash locked on MLB. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system I recommend. Get 50% off any new Simply Safe system at simplysafe.com backslash locked MLB. This is their biggest discount of the year, so don't wait. That is simplysafe.com locked on backslash locked on MLB. There is no safe like Simply Safe. And since I butchered it a dozen times, that is simplysafe.com backslash locked on MLB. So Jim Callis recently came out with a piece. Because the Rule 5, uh, you know, MLB is slow. So Rule 5 drives a lot of the niche fan, people who are listening to the shows, uh, you know, what a team could do, what might occur. We've been talking about Cleveland's crunch for years. And it was interesting that when he had to list a player, there, there was no one from Cleveland's top 30 prospects on the MLB side of things that was not protected. And he went with Ethan Hankins. And, you know, Hankins is a... <coughs> there's, you know, my cough to go with the interrupt from the beginning. Hankins was a first round pick who at points had top 10 hype in that draft year. He was right up there with Kumar rocker as a pair of high schoolers together fastball slider combo. That was electric. Like you saw a very easy path to potential frontline starter or, um, you know, excellent reliever. Then, you know, 2020 happened. He didn't get the pitch. He also had some conditioning issues, which I mean, callous callous never mentions things like this, but he, straight out states that uh, because of uh, Hankins had his development because of pandemic. I swear he said it somewhere in here, um, but I have read it's out there. He, there were some conditioning issues, um, right? And he started to get really start really looking good and like getting back fully into playing shape. Then he had Tommy John and he just hasn't had as many opportunities this year. He's thrown 64 innings, um, even though he's been in the system for four years. So it's a very limited track record. And here's just the honest goodness truth. I know a lot of people know him because he's a first round pick with a big name. 
I I don't think if I was to make a list of the top 20 right-handers in the system, not starters, just right-handers, I'm not sure he makes that top 20. If I were to make a list of the top 12 right-handed pitchers in the system, he doesn't make that for me. So it's a little bit much to do about nothing, A, because who's going to draft him when there's very limited data and a lot of that data isn't great? And B, uh, you'd be drafting him based on his high school data, which was, you know, what, 2018 now? Uh, that's a long time ago. You, you don't use four-year-old data to add someone to your roster. And then, uh, yeah, I, I just I think there's honestly better options to take from Cleveland system. Uh, if you're targeting someone, this isn't to say that in here I'm not talking about him the same way like we're talking about Cantillo. There's nothing that says he can't have a full bounce back, have that fully healthy season, be two years back from Tommy John, and just be the machine that we thought he could be when he was drafted, when he had that talk of being, you know, a top 10 prospect in system. But Ethan Hankins, do you, do you have <laughs> any thought he could be taken? Yeah, I mean... <clears throat> No, I don't. I don't think so. I think a lot of teams are going to see he's just missed so much time and has not. I was going to say, oh, you can you can uh, put him on the injured list. Like his Tommy John's over. He rehabbed this entire year. He threw one competitive inning in 2022, um, you know, because of some uh, health related stuff that didn't have to do with uh, Tommy John or injuries in general. But you know, the guy hasn't pitched since 2019. And he, the highest he got was was low A in Lake County when back when Lake County was the low A team. And I know some people will bring up the Luis Oviedo examples. We've talked about this. Luis Oviedo hadn't missed this much time, and he was playing winter ball, and he was sitting 97, 98 uh, when the, the Pirates took him. But look what happened. It didn't work out. Luis Oviedo was terrible. The Pirates had to let him go. He's back in Cleveland system now. Um, so that's a, that's, a, that's a test case that the, the stuff doesn't work. And Look, I saw Hankins in 2019. The stuff was still promising. Like, the, you know, you still, when you watched him, you could see the, the outline of a very electric pitcher, like we talked about. Um, but he did have, you know, conditioning issues back then, and he has since gotten that under control. I will say, to be fair to Ethan, he he is in much better shape than he was back in 2019. Um, but I just can't see him sticking on a roster for a full season like I, I kind of gave a quick glance at the other teams that are out there. Um, you know, would the Cubs be interested? Because obviously you've got guys in the, uh, the Cubs GM it was, was Cleveland's former assistant GM. You know, could he be interested in a guy he was around for drafting? You know, maybe, but I don't see how he thinks that Ethan Hankins is going to stick on a big league roster all year. Same with the pirates, same with the reds. Like, those are teams that could use somebody from the rule five draft, but I just don't see how all those teams feel like Ethan Hankins sticks all year on a big league roster. Even if you give them the phantom IL, it's like you've still got him in the active roster for 90 days. Like, okay. Oakland and I don't know the nationals, maybe the nationals would be interested. Um, but I just, I, even if he gets taken, even, even if it gets taken, I just don't see how it, it turns out where they lose him and, and, Lenny Torres, we're going to talk about that. I don't think he's even close to being an option either. But Just to go back, uh, the Hankin stuff, because I was reading up on Hankin today for this, it came from Eric Long and Hankin, uh, where it was that uh, the exact quote was, his stuff and conditioning fluctuated during the early portion of his pro career too. 
but he had a strong showing at the alternate site and was nails throughout instructs appeared a little more svelte and things were looking better. And then Tommy John. So that's where I got that from. It wasn't from Callis. It was from Eric Loggenhagen. Um, and it's not the first time I'd seen that. So I just wanted to make sure that I was uh, making the right attribution, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah. I mean, who's going to take him based on limited innings? It just seems like that. That's not how it works. The Nationals, the Nationals, the only team I can really see because and they do like his his kind of arm. You know, if you look at some of their history, yeah. but it's just I think everyone's going to weigh the risk, and there's got to be. I don't I don't know everybody who's available. You can look at what Jim about Gallus like Tajne Thomas, like former uh, Guardians. Like you know, he's he's got similar stuff. Or Antoine Kelly with the Rangers. I mean, if you want to go for a high ceiling, Juan Ramos with the Dodgers, who's unprotected. Like, I just think there's more interesting. I mean, uh, Nunez with the Pirates, uh, like guys who make more sense, who have at least played in the upper minors. That, and like I said, in a year's time, Hankins could be, you know, in that top 10 discussion. I'm not stating anything other than we just haven't seen him. And before we saw him, it was not a clean track record. And that all teams know that. And that's going to affect... It's a big year for him. Yes. It's a big year. He'll be 23 when, uh, come May. So this will be his age 23 season. He has not thrown a pitch. He threw one, one inning in the complex league this year. So it's a big year. I just don't see anybody letting him last on a roster. There are better options available. If you're looking for that, that style of pitcher to sit on your roster all year, there are better options that you might have a shot at keeping all season. Yeah, that's, I mean, that was, they took Bo Naylor. Uh, they, what, th- did they have three firsts or was Torres the second? No, they had th- three firsts somehow, right? Torres, so, Torres and Hankins were both competitive balance comp- picks, yeah. Yeah, so they, comp picks, yeah. one was competitive balance, I think, and one was comp. I can't think who it was comp for. I'm sure there's someone yelling at their screen now. Santana, um, Santana to uh, the Phillies. Did they? I, I don't think they. Yeah, because this was, 20, this was a 2018 amateur draft. So um, I think Torres was the competitive balance pick. I think Hankins was the competitive was the um, the comp pick for Santana um, going to the Phillies. I wasn't sure that they offered him the qualifying offer. I guess I completely forgotten if they had or hadn't. I'm pretty sure they did. Um, I'm gonna look it up just because I'm curious. But yeah, I mean that draft. Hopefully, you know Naylor will come through. But it is, uh, you know, health. That's that's the thing. And again, I know there's people like you said, you know, that pitching prospect thing. Uh, earlier, again, the clarification is the difference between a guy who's pitching in triple A, double A versus low A. And yes, um, that is why when you read my draft stuff, I'm always very anti prep pitcher in general, because you have to get them all the way up there. (laughs) You got to hope that they can climb the ladder and, you know, it's not going to be a Jay groom situation. If you want a recent example of a guy who's, you know, was at points had one, one hype and then hasn't come together for. So I, once they get up the ladder, I, I wouldn't trade those guys. I, I just would not. But uh, at the lower level, I think the risk is still too high. Uh, who who do you think is most likely to go? From Cleveland's unprotected list? Yes. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm going to go ahead and guess Nick Enright is probably an easy pick for somebody. There's I, I don't see any reason why he can't stick in the bullpen this year. Um. See, I was thinking if somebody, uh, Jack if or somebody's interested. Yeah, Missy Ozick's probably going to be an interesting case because you know Just Cleveland. If people, 
people have talked about him as being a potential ad for Cleveland as a lefty, and there's some interesting traits with his arm. Um, Kyle Marmon, I don't know where he'll, he'll go. I still, I've, I've seen stuff on him in the past where people, if there's a very data-driven organization that likes the pitch metrics on him, I could see that. It's all relievers to me. I think all these relievers are the, are the most likely ones because obviously we know that's what sticks. I think position player-wise, I don't know. I, I guess it depends on what other teams think of David Fry. You know, like maybe. But he went. He didn't get protected last year and didn't get picked last year, so I think it's unlikely. I, I think no it's last think year. Oh, Just duh, before someone says it in the comments. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so the Brewers weren't going to protect him, though. And Cleveland decided not to. That was he was a player by name later, so they didn't have to do that. But um, I guess if a team thinks that David Fry can catch, maybe there's something interesting there. I don't see anybody else. I think that's it. Pick. It's a bunch of relievers, and then maybe maybe David Fry. Oh, I'm sorry, Gabriel Rodriguez. Gabriel Rodriguez is like the one guy I would probably would think twice about because of the the major signing bonus when he was an international prospect, and he had a good year this year. And he's hurt, so you could and you could stash him on the IL all next year, you know, a lot of next year because of the shoulder injury. Um, you could potentially take a risk there if you really feel like – if there was any team out there that liked him as an amateur that was maybe interested in him and Cleveland outbid them, maybe they would go fishing back in those waters. So that's about you, it. You were, uh, you were right. Santana was the comp pick for Hankins, and then the competitive balance was for Torres. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a interesting group of players. You know, we've talked about uh, uh, Jake McCarthy, who is uh, was also a comp A pick, and Xavier Edwards, who was traded. So, some interesting names. Uh, let's, you know, I know they're getting on us for running long. Uh, this will be one of our. This will be the last long show this week. I promise, I totally can't keep. But uh, we also talked. I, let's be honest. This roster has very few moving pieces. Like we kind of know outside of a few parts what the 26 man roster will look like. And, you know, talk about our old friend, um, Tony Lastoria. Roster fodder really doesn't exist. There's maybe like two guys who probably uh, make the most sense to potentially be let go, but they only have, you know, a few spots. I, I would put the odds of them drafting someone is very low. So, of course, now they'll do it. You know, watch them add someone like, um, I don't know. I, I, I talked about on the show like, uh, TJ Sakima, just because he's a lefty, or, or Nolan Hoffman, who's the the, the side armor. Uh, we talked about Nunez, but again, they don't like non-flexible guys. Uh, and then Campos with the Dodgers is so far away, even though he had 19 home runs. Like, there's interesting names. Uh, Antoine Kelly talked about the Rangers has been a hot name of late, but like, where would they put him? I could see them taking somebody, but they can. The guy, a the guy has to be there. I think they have some guys they're interested in, but the guy's got to be there for them to take. And then number two, they'd have to make some moves to to move things around on the roster. Because we said, you know, the only guys that really you would maybe move on from are Benson or Palacios. I know some people are going to say Owen Miller, but Owen Miller has options and he's going to be depth and you're not, and he has a track record in the minors. And I'd be surprised if they, they're not going to DFA in number one, they might trade him maybe if they have somebody else in mind. But I think at this point he is like a, a safety net for them and if they can't upgrade his spot. So they won't move him in any shape or form until they feel like they've upgraded his spot. If that's, that that's their choice. I still don't see how Palacios has a, a role on this team in the, in the next couple of years. So 
he seems like a guy you could trade for cash, international money, a uh, very low-level prospect, and you could clear a spot that way because he doesn't have a spot here, and there probably is some team out there who could use him. But that's and, – and maybe Will Benson. But I, I would I would definitely move on from Palacios before I moved on from Will Benson. One has a position, one does not. Like, just simple as that. I know. I know. They really, they really shoehorned him in at left, and they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they let it go. He is a left fielder, TH Now it's, it's it's unfortunate. Some team might be able to play him at second base because he has in the past, and that makes him more valuable. But Cleveland clearly is not going to and doesn't believe he should. So that limits what he can do in Cleveland. Yeah, I think that about sums it up. Uh, we will have more Rule Five chatter, I'm sure, throughout the week. Goes random rumors. We will also do our Rule 5 history piece, uh, I believe, this week. If the Rule 5 next week. And uh, we're still trying to hammer things down with some prospects and guys on the 40-man who might make appearances. So make sure you tune in. Uh, get us up over 1,000. I will see. Last check, we were at 903. Um, so that's 97 away. 905. So 95 away. So please subscribe. Uh, get a friend to subscribe. Let's get over that 1,000. Thank you all. And the way we end every show... Go, go, Guardians, go.